Glad to be here. Uh, this is a great chapter of the Bible, and I've got to say that I've just I've loved spending heaps of time in it this week. Uh, it's engaging. It's witty. It's funny. I'm glad some of you laughed there, and it's beautiful. I think it's beautiful because we get to see the moment that a man really sees Jesus, calls him Lord, and worships him. And ironically, for a chapter that's all about receiving sight and seeing. It's a chapter that spurs me on to live for the unseen realities of Jesus in his kingdom of heaven and a day coming when he returns. And I want you to be spurred on for that as well. Now, just quickly, uh, I had a bit of change in tact uh, after I submitted the outline that you've got in your your handout. So don't look at the one printed in front of you. Uh, I've got an outline on the slides instead. Uh, A bit of context as we head into chapter 9 is um, that it's a continuation of a theme that's emerged in chapter 8 of Jesus being the light of the world. Well, that's actually emerged since the beginning of John in chapter 1. But in chapter 8, verse 12, it says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And chapter 9 is expanding this claim. And in 9, verse 5, Jesus restates the claim. He says in verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And the chapter will show us what it means for Jesus to be in the world as the light of the world. And that's what we're going to spend this morning thinking about. Because it it could sound nice, right? Think of the restaurant with a warm ambiance, the light. Is Jesus that kind of light? No, no, I think Jesus being the light of the world is something we don't immediately expect. And here's what I think John 9 is telling us it is. Point one, Jesus being the light of the world is Jesus judging the world. We're going to start at the end of the chapter to see this, actually, because the end is like the crux of chapter 9, where the whole chapter has been building up to, kind of naturally, right? And if we get this right, it'll help us understand the whole chapter. So pick up with me there in verse 39. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. All right, this is the crux of the chapter, and it's what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. Jesus blinds those who can see, and he makes those who are blind able to see. Now, at first glance, this sounds really backwards, right? It's just unjust. If Jesus is making a judgment and he's a judge, aren't judges meant to be just and fair? How can it be right that he blinds those who can see? And to really get our heads around this, we need to know what kind of seeing and what kind of blindness Jesus is talking about. And we get a bit of an insight to this as we just keep reading through the end of this chapter. So in verse 40, some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? And we're meant to hear this question with scoffing in their voice, loaded with sarcasm, Because if you just look at the way that Jesus replies in the next verse, he's definitely reading a claim to be able to see in the Pharisees' questions. Have a look at verse 41. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. So it's claiming to see while they can't, that means that their sin remains. 
It's like if someone claimed to be healthy when they're sick, it would mean that they never saw a doctor. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about, that concept when he says, the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick do. Denying blindness means that their sin remains. It's a terrible and tragic close to this chapter for the Pharisees because it shows Jesus' judgment on them of those who claim to be able to see becoming blind. And it shows that the blindness Jesus is talking about is a spiritual blindness of sin, refusing to accept Jesus as Lord. So to come back to our question, how is it just and fair that Jesus blinds those who can see? It's because the seeing that he blinds is a spiritual seeing that claims to see without the light of Jesus. And this is sin. For the Pharisees, they claim to see. They think they have a light and that they don't need Jesus. For them, it was the light of the law as they interpreted it. For our world, it might be that they see by the light of a comfortable life or the light of pleasure or the light of prestige, the light of another religion. They're all fake lights that are no lights at all. And it's this type of seeing by the light of something else without the light of Jesus that Jesus blinds. And on the other hand, it's those who come to know that they're blind without the light of Jesus that Jesus makes able to see. And the heart of Christianity is that there is only one true light of the world and who have these effect on both people. Those who do not see will see and those who can see will become blind. So let's see that worked out in the chapter. So the second point is that those who do not see will see. So we're going all the way back to the start of chapter 9 in verse 1. Follow with me. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples questioned him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. Now, if we had more time, I'd I'd think about with you the relationship between sin and suffering, but we don't. And Jesus gives us the real reason this man was born blind. If we keep reading in verse 3, Jesus says, This came about so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So whatever follows in this chapter displays the works of God. And it's going to be tightly connected to Jesus being the light of the world. So keep reading in verse 6. It says, After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. So how does this reveal the works of God so far? Well, firstly, we're meant to see that really clear connection that this sign displays that Jesus is the light of the world because he gives sight to the blind. You can't miss that, can you? This man stops walking in a literal darkness because Jesus is the light of the world. And it's pointing to something spiritual that unfolds throughout the chapter. But there's two things I want you to notice about how it happens as well. The first thing is that the man doesn't ask to be healed. 
He hasn't said anything up until this point. He doesn't cry out to Jesus. Jesus just does these things to him. The second thing to notice is that the pool that he's healed in is called Siloam, which we're told just means sent. And the point here is that it's not the pool. The pool doesn't have any magical properties to it, and it's not the man's obedience to being told to go that heals him. It's because he was sent, sent by Jesus. Jesus heals him. And what these things are telling us is that we don't have the capacity, not on our own, to respond to Jesus as we ought. We need Jesus, the light of the world, to heal our blindness. Jesus doesn't come to a world that's aware that it's blind and eager to fix the problems. No, he comes to a world that's groping in the dark. That's the point of John 1 verse 10. If you went back there, you'd see he was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world didn't recognise him. So when we do see, when we recognise Jesus and believe, it's an act of grace and mercy from God to make blind people able to see. Give thanks to God if you can see. Now, you might be wondering, how do I know if I really can see or not? And I think the rest of the story helps us with that, but it's in the context of those who can see becoming blind. So this is my third point, and we're going to spend most of our time here. Those who can see will become blind. Keep reading with me in verse 8. His neighbours and those who formerly had seen him as a beggar said, "'Isn't this the man who sat begging?' Some said, "'He's the one.' No, others were saying, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. Like, he'd know, right? Wouldn't he? He's the one who is blind and can see. Verse 10, therefore they asked him, how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. Where is he? They asked. I don't know, he answered. Like he was blind when Jesus healed him. You can only see once he's washed in the pool. How would he know where Jesus is? Now this is amazing, right? So they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Now I don't think there's anything malicious here or that they don't trust him. They just think, wow, this is amazing. Let's take him to the Pharisees to see what they've got to say about it. Because surely of anyone, the Pharisees should be able to see what's going on. But before we move on in the narrative, the narrator gives us some extra detail that's going to flavour the way that this chapter unfolds. So verse 14, we read, The day that Jesus made mud and opened his eyes was a Sabbath. And of course, this will be a problem for the Pharisees because according to them, making mud and healing on the Sabbath are prohibited work. So verse 15 Again, the Pharisees asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, he told them, I washed and I can see. Obviously, this is a bit of a truncated version of the story. Um, Verse 16, therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Just like the signs have been doing all the way through John, They're meant to point to the reality of who Jesus is, that he's from God, he's of God, he is God. But they're divided over whether he really is from God or not. So in verse 17, again, they ask the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? 
He's a prophet, he said. Now, from the Pharisees' point of view, this is going nowhere until they nail something down. Was he actually blind and able to see? So we keep reading in verse 18, the Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one that you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. But we don't know how he now sees, and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he would be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, ask him, he's of age. Now this is a pretty serious threat, not to be accepted or welcomed at your local synagogue, to be banned. It happened to Paul a bunch of times, he gets kicked out of his synagogue and not told not to come back. And essentially it's a way of saying, you don't belong here and you're not one of us, one of the true followers of the true God. Now at this stage, it's pretty hard for the Pharisees to deny that this man was born blind and can now see. But there's no progress on who anyone thinks Jesus is. And so they press the man on who he thinks Jesus is. So in verse 24, a second time they summoned the man and he, uh, who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. Essentially, cough it up. Tell us the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. It's like he's saying, I'll leave the theology to you. One thing I do know... I was blind and can now see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too, do you? Now, this is a really sharp question. And it shows that he's really throwing his lot in with Jesus and he's taking a jab at the Pharisees and making them show their hand. So in verse 28, we read, um, they ridiculed him that you're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This is an amazing thing, the man told them. You don't know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. Throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he wouldn't be able to do anything. Now, it's worth noting here, this guy's... Uh, theology is not bulletproof, right? Moses could throw his staff on the ground and it became a snake, but so could the Egyptian magicians, right? They could do signs as well. But this man's instinct about Jesus is dead on. It's spot on. So verse 34, you were born entirely in sin, they replied, and you are trying to teach us. And then they threw him out. The Pharisees have heard this man say, that he believes Jesus is from God and not a sinner. But they reject what he has to say about Jesus because he was born entirely in sin, which is a reference to him being born blind. They've finally agreed that they believe this man was born blind and that he's been healed, obviously. And instead of this pointing them towards Jesus, it turns them away from Jesus. If there's a picture anywhere 
of those claiming to be able to see but becoming blind, this is it. Of all people, the Pharisees should have been able to see. They were experts in the Old Testament. They should have remembered that the blind receiving sights is one of the clear signs accompanying the coming of the Messiah. And they had lost sight of the Sabbath law so that they even considered healing as work. Instead of being amazed, they're suspicious. Instead of seeing the clear connection between the sign and Jesus being the light of the world from God, they reject it. This shows that even though truly believing and seeing Jesus for who he is is a gift from God, humans are still responsible for the way that they respond to him. The man believes Jesus is from God because of the sign, but the Pharisees reject Jesus is from God because of the same sign. Jesus is judging the world by being the light of the world. He's making those who are blind able to see and those able to see blind. I think this has some big implications for how we live in the world as Christians now. Firstly, when we share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus yet, we're sharing the good news of Jesus with them. We're not in control of the effect that it has on them, but we're responsible for faithfully sharing Jesus with them. Don't get bogged down in science versus religion or the Big Bang Theory or debunking other religions or other worldviews. The main thing is Jesus. And all those things are adjacent to telling people about who Jesus is, what he's done to make forgiveness possible and how that's changed your life. Those other things are important. Faith is rational, but it begins with Jesus. And a second thing is that we believe in Jesus and the reality of who he is even when we can't see him anymore. At the very start of this chapter, if you flicked back to verse 4, you would see, we must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And Jesus is talking about doing the works of God while it's still day, which is while he is still in the world. And the day is over when he returns to his Father in heaven and no one can work. In one sense, Jesus' earthly ministry is over. In another sense, he is not finished with this world. He sends his spirit and the day is extended that we live in because his patience means salvation. We live in that last day when we can't actually see Jesus anymore because he's no longer bodily in the world, but we wait for his return. To the world, we'll look like blind fools. We look like we're giving up the pursuit of what the world values all because of some fantasy in our heads. But we live for the reality of the unseen. We live for King Jesus ascended into heaven, now seated at the right hand of God the Father where he'll come to judge the living and the dead. It's the unseen Jesus that we witness to the world. And we do that 
by continually depending on Jesus to be able to see, to make decisions about what's important based on the reality of who Jesus is, to value the same things that he does, to seek his kingdom, to depend on him for our needs, to forgive from the radical forgiveness that we've received, to flee temptation. And we do all these things pointing to the light of the world so that others might see and believe. Some will be blinded, sadly, unable to see because they see by another light. Others will see because by the light of the world, they see their sinful blindness and confess Jesus as Lord. But to come back to a question that I've raised earlier that's still unanswered, how do I know if I can really see? I think the blind man helps us here as an example. He's the best example of someone who believes the sign. He believes that he was blind and he can now see, but he still needs to believe what the sign points to. And this will help us know if we can really see or not. Verse 35, read with me. When Jesus heard that the man had been thrown out, he found him and asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshipped him. That's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Just be captured by the wonder of this moment for a second, of this man realising who Jesus is, calling him Lord and worshipping him. How do you know if you can see? Do you worship Jesus? Is your life captured by the reality of who Jesus is so that your life is submitted to him as Lord? That means you live by no other light than the light of the world. Can you say this has happened for you? Well, if you can't, it begins by acknowledging that you are blind without Jesus, helpless in sin, cut off from life with God and that you need to be rescued and asking him for forgiveness and help and then living with him as your Lord. And believing these things, you see the light of the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you've sent your Son as the light of the world into this dark world. We thank you for the gift of being able to see and receive him. We thank you that this means that our life is lived in the reality of your son and who he is, and we pray that we'd be able to live our lives continually submitted to him as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.